0: Let me tell you about a little boy who was talking to his teacher about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. The teacher said, hey, it's physically impossible for a fish to swallow a human being. But the little boy stated, no, that's what happened. And he thought about it a little while and says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask Jonah when I get to heaven. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah didn't quite make it to heaven and ended up in Hades? The little boy thought for a moment and then said, then you can ask him. Oh, out of the mouth of babes. But it does lead us to the fact that the belief in God today is not a universal thing, is it? It points to the fact that we tend to see only what it is that we're used to seeing. For instance, there was a woman, and she was driving her car one warm summer evening, and the woman in the convertible ahead of them stood up and waved. The only problem was she was nude; and she wasn't wearing a stitch of clothing. And so the mom said, as I was reeling from the shock of that, I heard my five-year-old shout from the back, seat, Mommy, Mommy, that lady isn't wearing a (laughs) seatbelt. Thus, we typically tend to see only what we are used to seeing. And since the kid wasn't used to seeing an adult standing in a car, especially one without any clothes, he completely missed that part, only noticing that the woman wasn't wearing a seatbelt if I can get your mind past that, to focus with me on the fact that the same thing is true in an entirely different way with God. In other words, we tend to see about God only what we are used to seeing about God. But truthfully, there's so much more to see, there's so much more to know, to experience, to receive about God and from God than what we are used to seeing and used to knowing, used to experiencing, and used to receiving from God. You'll get just a little glimpse of this here. So, Watch this.
1: I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the herd in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs you are looking for me in the groans and the longings it is me you seek in the yearning dream in the need to be seen in the love me love me it is me you seek i am he who waits for you to reach i reach for you and wait when you lie half broken and awake i am the watchman of your sleep i wait and wait till the shaking's cease i am the truth they call release when the darkness flares and starts to speak, I scope the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek.
0: It is God that we seek all our lives. Even though our awareness of that may be sporadic or it may be occasional or even infrequent. Even if you have no awareness of that at all, every living thing created indeed seeks God deep down inside in their wanting meaning and purpose for their life and Psalms 143 verses 2 and 3 in the New Revised Standard Version echoes this in saying every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever you see this is the key that truly opens the door of meaning and purpose in our life. That is, you're connecting with God each day, your awareness of God each day. And when you turn that key of awareness just a little bit, it opens you up to what the psalmist says next. And that is great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. It's noteworthy this verse says that God's greatness is unsearchable. Now, back in the day when it was written, if you wanted to know about the greatness of God, you would go to the priest or the religious teacher and you would find out about all the great things that God had done. And when I was growing up, if I wanted to know more about the greatness of God, then I'd ask my Sunday school teacher and they would point me to places in the Bible that would tell me all about the greatness of God. But today, everything is so much more searchable, isn't it? We have search engines for everything. In fact, I did a Google search for God's greatness, and here's what I got. 31,200,000 results in 39 one-hundredths of a second. And the truth is, in my lifetime, I could never even come close to learning and knowing about those 31.2 million things the Internet says about the greatness of God. And so the question is, is this what God was talking about back in that scripture when he inspired the psalmist to write that God is in almost 3,000 years ago? Well, obviously not, because the Internet wasn't even invented then. But what God inspired the psalmist to write was the fact that what God was trying to communicate to us wasn't really communicatable or what he was trying to describe couldn't be described in terms of the greatness of God. In other words, God is so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much more desirous to be a part of your life and mine than any of us could ever imagine. And our search for God and all his incredibleness is to be a part of each day and to be a part of us forever and ever. So how do we do that? Well, let me say that in the 1600s, God gave a certain man an incredible handle that he can give to us to unlock the awesomeness of God in our life. The guy's name is Blaise Pascal, and he identified something that God created in every one of us to connect with his awesomeness. Essentially, what he described was a God-shaped hole in our hearts. That is a definite place in our hearts and lives that only God can fill. If we try to put anything else in there, it simply won't fit. Meaning it won't really satisfy the need that we have in our lives for God. And to open our eyes a little bit wider to this, Ecclesiastes three ten and 11 in the NIV says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now what does the word burden mean? The word burden means that you are somehow forced to carry around with you something all the time. And what's the burden that God's talking about here? Well, it's that God made everything beautiful in its time. What a terrible burden. Life and everything in it is beautiful in its time. And what its time means here is if, when your life's not stuck in the past or when your life's not distracted by the stuff of your future, then your life is beautiful when you're living in that moment. And you're living in that moment present with God what a blessed burden that is but look at what else it says it says beyond the blessing of the moment we're living in god has also set eternity in the human heart In other words beyond the blessing of living with god in this very moment we live with god forever and ever in eternity have you ever been involved in something that was just a sheer delight to you and in that moment you declared to yourself hey this is it This is the moment that I want to stay in. I want to do this again and again. I want to return to this thing again and again and stay in this forever. Well, you see, that's what God's saying here about the beauty of your life each moment with him. God's saying, you're going to stay in the beauty of this moment with me forever and ever. Yes, God has set eternity in our hearts. And no one, no one can fathom, and that means that no one can imagine what God has done and can do with the rest of your life. But the problem is we take this God-shaped hole in our hearts, in our lives, and what do we do? Well, we decide we're going to put maybe some sides on it. We're going to wall it up, and the result is something other than that God-shaped hole that he created in us. The result is a God-shaped box. Instead of a place within us for the awareness of God to grow deep down into our lives, we come up with a box, a God box, Where the awesomeness of God gets cut down and minimized and marginalized and forced to fit into this God box that we've created. In other words, our concept of who God is and what God is like and just what God can do in our lives is defined by us rather than God. And in the space around that God box in our hearts, we try to fill with all sorts of things, don't we? We try to fill with fame or we try to fill with fortune with devices, with toys. We might try to fill it with clothes, and we might try to fill it with homes, with vehicles, and even with vacations. All sorts of things, you name it. And St. Augustine, however, hundreds of years ago, wrote about this in his confession, saying, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You see, the best of the best that this world has to offer cannot fill our hearts and our lives so that they will be at rest without God. Sad examples most recently include Robin Williams, who incredibly ended his own life because he couldn't find God's rest. And then a couple of decades ago, Kurt Cobain, who led the band Nirvana, meaning a state of perfect happiness or an ideal place, incredibly ended his own life, because he could not find God's rest. Many decades before that, George Reeves, the actor who played the original TV Superman, incredibly ended his own life, because he could not find God's rest. Not one of these guys could find rest and real meaning and purpose in their life without God. That's why Jesus, in John 7th chapter, verse 37 to 39, the New American Standard, says this, Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. You see the word innermost being here is actually the Greek word koilos. And what it means is an empty hole or place. Let me say that God didn't create an empty place in our lives just to remain empty, but rather to be filled with the awesomeness of God. And according to author Paul David Tripp, this means that the awesomeness of God was specifically designed to be the deepest, most life-shaping, the most practical daily motivation of every human being. The awesomeness of God is the umbrella of protection over every person. The awesomeness of God is the reality that defines and it actually gives shape to every other reality. So how does this awesomeness of God function? How does it look? Well, the awesomeness of God should motivate everything I do and everything I say. The awesomeness of God should be the reason I do what I do with my thoughts. It should be the reason I desire what I desire. The awesomeness of God should be the reason that I function the way I do at my job and handle my finances in the way I do. The awesomeness of God should structure the way I think about possessions and positions and power It should shape and motivate my relationships with my spouse and my family and my friends and my neighbors. The awesomeness of God should form the way I think about myself and about the expectations that I have for others. The awesomeness of God should lift to me out of my darkest moments in life. It should be the source of my most exuberant celebrations. Yes, the awesomeness of God should make me more self-aware and more mournful of my sin... The awesomeness of God should make me more patient with and tender towards the weakness of others. It should give me courage when I can find no other way. The awesomeness of God is meant to rule every part of my existence. And you see, a human being not living with the functional awesomeness of God is profoundly disadvantaged. They're like a train off its rails. So how do we get that way? Well, our God-shaped hole gets fitted with our own God-shaped box of our making. And with it, we redefine God. We strip God of all of His power and His awesomeness that's supposed to be beyond limit in our lives. And then we try to pack it with the best that the world has all around it to fill in the emptiness and to give us some sense of meaning and purpose in our life. Romans 1, verses 20 and 22 in the New Living Translation describes it like this. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, actually they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools. Thus the scripture says, we do know God, that's for sure, but we don't acknowledge him. That is we don't worship him in all we do and think and say. Instead we think up things like, well, God must be like this and because of that it's okay for me to live this way. We become confused, his brightness becomes dulled in us. And we make God into something that he is not. We make God much smaller than he is. We devalue God, we depower God, and we go on without him in more and more ways. And this becomes the norm. And when the awesomeness of God is absent, it quickly is replaced by the awesomeness of ourselves. And if you're not living for God, the only alternative really is just to live for yourself. Today is what day? Super Bowl Sunday. Two weeks ago, the defending Super Bowl champs the Seattle Seahawks were horribly beaten in a game that would have gotten them back into the Super Bowl, except, except for the fact that they had one of the greatest end-of-the-game comebacks in all NFL history to get them into the Super Bowl. And quarterback Russell Wilson, when he first was interviewed right after that happened in the game, everybody was in shock. He didn't say how great he was or how great the team was for pulling that off. These were his first words.
1: God is good all the time, man. Every time.
0: God is good all the time, every time. These were his first words. Because even in that unbelievable moment with all that was going on around him and all that he was doing that day, the greatest thing in his life was the fact that God is good all the time, every time. Afterwards, he also said this. I think that the thing I've been kind of relying on this past year, you know, just winning a Super Bowl, going into another year, uh, everybody trying to lift your name up just because of you know Super Bowl winning quarterback and all those other things. You know, I think the thing that I've been trying to focus on is as uh, is a scripture it's John 3:30, and it says, "He must increase, but I must decrease." Indeed, if anyone could justify living for the awesomeness of themselves, it would be Russell Wilson. But all of the fame, the fortune, the prestige of being the last Super Bowl winning quarterback and heading back into the big game today, it really could be him that he was living for, but Russell Wilson says no. He says it's all about God. John 3.30 that he quoted there from the RSV says, he, God, must increase, but I must decrease. And that is what the awesomeness of God is all about. Because sadly, we can live such a long time in life thinking so much less of God than we should. And how does this get reversed? How does God grow from being more and more absent to being more and more abundant in our lives? How does God go from being something kind of floating around faintly in the background to standing more in the forefront of our lives and on the center stage of our lives? Well, actually, there's a couple of ways. Let me share them with you. The first is this, one, you'll begin to wake up. Romans 13th chapter, verses 11 and 12 in the message says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and so exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off. Oblivious to God, be up and be awake to what God is doing. So what does the word oblivious mean? Not aware of or not concerned about what's going on or happening around you, in this case, related to God. So don't get so self-absorbed and so exhausted in taking care of all the day-to-day stuff that you doze off and you become oblivious to God. Yes, wake up and be awake to what God is doing around you. Not just because I said so, but look at Russell Wilson, the quarterback. He's the guy that's going to be on the biggest stage in the world today. Do so because of what he said. Not only that, but look at the lives of... Robin Williams and Kurt Cobain and George Reeves. And look to within your own life, knowing that all the normal stuff, even the world's best stuff, doesn't ever completely fill that innermost place in meaning and purpose in your life. Come alive. Come alive to the fact that there's so much more. And so one way you become more aware of the awesomeness of God is you begin to wake up to that. Here's the second you'll begin to break up. Now, what does that mean? Well, most of you know, many months from last year were way out of the ordinary for me. Back in March, my mom had seven hours surgery to remove cancer. And I stayed with her for weeks as she recovered. And over the summer, the cancer returned. And so I began to spend more and more days with her. And then in late September, it got worse and hospice became a part of our lives. And I spent many nights each week with her. At the same time, there were still the church things going on, and there was teaching my class at Palm Beach Atlantic University that came up in the midst of all that, and then there was taking over her finances, and sadly, then there was her death. Then <laughs> all the arrangements here, all the arrangements and travel, the barrier beside dad in Atlanta, and then all the legal issues to attend to afterwards, many of which are ongoing yet today and will be ongoing way beyond. And then there was mom's wish to help my brother find a new place to live and help him get set up there. And all through this, here's what I was thinking. Gee, I have it all together with you, God, and all these things going on. But then it hit me. I realized I really didn't have it all together. In many ways, I was barely hanging on. The truth is I needed a bigger God than I had ever had before because... My life had so much more going on in it and very different things going on in it than I had ever experienced before. And I needed to let God out of my God box because I had to find Him deep down inside me in order to unleash all of His true awesomeness that He had for me there and will have for me every day. So how do we do this? Well, sometimes it is by... Waking up to the fact that, indeed, He is really awesome. And sometimes it's by something breaking up in our lives and are needing so much more of Him than we've had before in our lives. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the New Living Translation say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you the path to take. Thus, you and I, we can break God out of the box that we have Him held in, and we can begin to wake up inside, and or we can begin to break up inside, realizing we need a bigger, more awesome God in our lives. Because God is larger, God is more loving, God is more caring, God is more guiding, God is more awesome than the understanding of Him we carry around in our God boxes. And we have in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Chris Tomlin sought to capture the truth of that in a song about 10 years ago called Indescribable. Listen to his words.
1: From the highest of high to the depths of the sea Creations revealing your mind From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring. Every creature unique in a soul, not told every
0: Yes, God is an awesome, indescribable God, and even more awesome and indescribable is the fact that He sees the depths of our hearts and everything in it, not in a metaphorical or generic way, but in a totally specific way to who you are, and He loves you deeply regardless of what there. So let's join Him. Let's take our limited, constricting God box, and let's turn it upside down, and let's embrace a bigger God. And as we do, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the New Living Translation tell us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank You so much for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the awesomeness of Your love, Father, and and help us to empty the concept we have of you in our lives that we have kind of boxed up because we're just used to seeing you that way. Help us, Father, to open our hearts to the fact that you are so much bigger and greater. You have so much more for us. You desire to be with us each day in a much greater way than we have you packaged right now. So, Father, in that we pray for your opening of our hearts in our lives to the life that you really have for us much more life than we're living now. And we thank you for your desire to give that to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.